have a copy of God's Word, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we'll read verse 1 through 8 this morning, but we'll go through verse 16. I want to talk this morning about sin crouching at the door. Sin crouching out the door. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I talked about a tale of two brothers where we covered just verses 1 through 8. And you can go online to YouTube and you can go to my channel and I posted that sermon And you can get some background information to get you started as we get into this message this morning. But let me also say before we get into this text that if you aren't here on Wednesday nights, I would invite you to come on Wednesday nights and be a part of what God is doing. Um, And I've even asked God what's the difference between Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. And uh, He hasn't given me an answer. But there's just Wednesday nights, I don't know, just God is moving. And there just seems to be a wave of glory that hits this place on Wednesday nights. And and God just does something special in this place. Uh, And I don't know if it's because I have more time to get into the Word on Wednesday nights. And I don't know if Sunday mornings I feel rushed to try to get out of here on a certain time, but let me say this morning, I'm going to preach until I'm done. So, if you're looking at your watch, when it gets close to 12 and I'm not done yet, I'm going to preach until I'm done. I feel like I've got something to say and I'm going to preach until I'm done. And I'm not going to try to put God in a box and say, God, you can only show up here and you can, and if we're going to let God move and have His way. Because that's what we need, Amen. And so if God shows up ten minutes into this and we're going to let God move then, and if God waits and lets me get done preaching and He shows up in the altar, we're going to let God move. And if you have to dismiss yourself, then you can be free to dismiss yourself. But I believe God has a word for this place today. And God is going to move. We need, listen, creativity and entertainment isn't going to change people's lives. It's going to be God that changes people's lives. And we need a foundation upon which we can stand, and that is the Word of God. Jesus talked about people who heard the Word of God and who acted on it. And He said that the storm comes in those who heard the Word of God and built their life on the Word of God. When the storm came, their house didn't fall. Amen? And so when the storm attacks you tomorrow or attacks you this week, you need something, you can have a foundation that you've built your life on, and that comes from the Word of God. And so, I believe in the preaching of the Word of God. And so this morning, Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 through verse number 8. It says, Now Adam knew knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not... 
do well. Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. In this passage we read about the first family of the Bible, and what we see is that this family isn't perfect. I don't know about you, but that encourages me a little bit because I don't have a perfect family, and if you'll be honest, you don't have a perfect family. But what we see in this family is we see the effects of sin taking its toll on the family. Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden and now the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their disobedience and rebellion are showing up in their children. And let me just say something to the parents here, that if we aren't careful, our sin will show up in the lives of our children and even our grandchildren. Amen? That what we do will show up in the lives of our and in our generations that come afterwards. We'll pass it on if we aren't careful. The passage before us is the story of Adam and Eve's first two children, two brothers named Cain and Abel. And the story of Cain and Abel is a tragic one because Abel is brutally murdered by his brother Cain. From this passage we learn some powerful lessons about sin, but also in this same passage we also see the grace of God when we sin. Aren't you glad that even when we sin, the grace of God still shows up to cover our sin? So this morning I want to give you five lessons, I believe it is, concerning sin and also one lesson about the grace of God. So number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to see this. Sin stems from Within, When Adam sinned and rebelled against God, his sin was imputed to the entire human race so that every person is born in sin. Paul said this in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. He said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. David said it this way in the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Jeremiah comes along and he says this about the heart, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And you see, we live in a day where people says, Just follow your heart. But listen, that is bad advice because your heart is wicked, your heart is vile, your heart is evil. It cannot tell you to do anything good because it is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. In fact, some translations say that our heart is incurable. So it is wrong to follow your heart. Paul sums up the human condition this way in Romans 3 verse 10 through 12. He says, as the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Listen, even on your best day, you're not righteous. On your best day, you're still not good enough to meet the standards of God. In verse 11, he says, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Listen, nobody came into this world looking for God. Nobody comes into this world wanting to have anything to do with God. We didn't come looking for Him. I didn't come into this world wanting anything to do with God. But I'm so thankful one day God came looking for me. Verse 12, all have turned away, all have 
become useless. No one does good, not a single one. How many will remember what the rich young ruler said to Jesus? He called him good teacher, good master. And Jesus responded, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. There's nothing good in us. And that's what Paul says here about humanity. In Romans 3 verse 23, he says, Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. These verses that I've just read to you explain to us the depravity of man. Now the depravity of man doesn't mean that every person is as bad as he can be. But it doesn't, but it also means that sinful people aren't incapable of good deeds. We can still do good things. But here's what it means. It means that there is nothing in the human heart capable of earning God's favor. Hear me. The human heart by nature is hostile toward God and unable to please God. You say, you can take a pig and you can wash the muck and the mire on him. You can put a bow on him. But at the end of the day, he's still a pig and he's still going to go back to the muck and the mire. Amen? And you see, we as sinners, you can put church terms on him and you can make him look good and you can make him smell good. But at the end of the day, without God, you're still a sinner and you're still going to commit sin because by nature, that's what we are. You see, we sin because we're sinners by nature. You see, people drink and do drugs because they're sinners by nature. We're born with a sinful nature. You know something? You don't have to teach your children how to be hateful. You don't have to teach your children how to be jealous and envious and to practice racism. It's instilled within us. Because when Adam sinned, he passed that nature on to everybody who would come after him. Sin comes from within. It comes from the heart. And that was Cain's problem. He had a problem in his heart. That's why he got angry with Abel and killed him. We see in the text that both brothers brought an offering to God and God accepted Abel's, but He rejected Cain's. And some commentators argue that the type of sacrifice had nothing to do with God's acceptance of Abel's and rejection of Cain's. They say it was the condition of the heart. Now I believe that part of the sacrifice had something to do with it, but it was also an attitude of the heart. Abel had a right attitude towards God and Cain had a wrong attitude towards God. Abel had the right attitude that said, God, I want to please you. And Cain, he just brought something. He just went through the motion. And he did not want to please God. Abel approached God the right way. But Cain just did any old thing and brought it to God. His heart wasn't right with God. And we see that when God confronts him, he gets angry, his countenance fell, he's disappointed, he's discouraged, and he's depressed. Why? Because his heart isn't right with God. Hear me, sin always begins in the heart. But secondly, sin must be dealt with before it grows. Sin must be dealt with before it grows. I want us to notice first of all, letter A, God graciously warned Cain to deal with his sin. 
Notice that God asked Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Remember, God doesn't ask questions because He lacks information. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God asks questions because He wants the person He's asking to think about what they've done. When He comes to Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you? He's wanting Adam to think about what he had done. He's wanting Adam to realize where he is. See, God was telling Cain that he needed to evaluate his attitude. He's telling Cain that you need to examine your life. You need to think about what you're about to do. God's warning tells Cain that he needs to think about his motives. Look there again at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In this context, if you do well means go back and offer the right sacrifice and you will be accepted. If you'll go back and give me the right sacrifice, everything will be good between you and me. Everything will be right if you'll just go back and start over. God is giving Cain the opportunity to repent. God is giving Cain a second chance. God is giving Cain to try again and do better. But here's an important principle. By doing well, you'll feel well. God is telling Cain, hey, if you'll do right, you'll feel better. If you'll do right, you'll get past your depression. If you'll do right, you'll get over your discouragement. You see, Cain was angry. He was depressed. His countenance had fallen. But God told him, hey, if you'll act right, you'll feel right. If you'll act right, you'll begin to feel better. You'll get over this discouragement if you'll just go back and do the right thing. You see, God doesn't tell us to live by our feelings, does He? He tells us to live by faith in obedience to His Word. So here's what God's saying to us. If you'll do well, you'll feel well. But here's what culture says. We should feel it first before we act. In other words, when it comes to forgiveness, you need to feel like forgiving first before you forgive. But that's not what God says. God says if somebody's wronged you, you need to forgive because it is right, even if you don't feel like it is right. Amen? In other words, if somebody's wronged you, you need to forgive them because it is right, even if you don't feel like forgiving them. But here's the thing. If you will forgive them, you'll feel better. Amen. If you'll forgive them, you'll let go of the hostility you have towards them and the discouragement and the anger and the resentment that you have in your heart. It'll leave you if you'll begin to act right first. If you'll do well, you'll feel well. In fact, I'm reminded of what God told the church in Ephesus. He told them to remember from where you'd fallen. And then He said, redo your first works. He doesn't tell them about feeling anything, does He? He says, you don't love me the way you used to. He says, so remember where you, from where you fell and redo your first works. He didn't say, I want you to feel like you love me. He says, do what you used to do. And when you begin to do what you used to do, you'll fall in love with me the way you used to love me. It always starts with doing first. And when you start doing, the feelings come. That's what God's trying to tell Cain. Cain, if you'll just begin to act right first, you'll start feeling it. Your attitude will change. Now notice what God said. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. 
Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God pictures sin as this wild animal ready to pounce on him, ready to destroy him. It says its desire is for you. It thirsts for your blood. It's your mortal enemy. But you must master it. God is saying to Cain, you've got to deal with your sin. You can't let it go on or you're going to find yourself in the grip of a monster you can't control. I wrote this in my Bible this week. You have to master sin before it masters you. You have to dominate sin before sin dominates you. You can't let it go on in your life or it will destroy you. If you let something to fester in your life sooner or later, it will grow out of control and it will ruin your life. It'll ruin your family. It will ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your ministry. If it starts small and you don't nip it in the bud and deal with it, it will grow into this great monster that ruins you. That's what God is saying. You see, sin begins with wrong thoughts. And if you let those wrong thoughts go on, they lead to wrong feelings. Wrong feelings lead to wrong words. Wrong words to wrong actions. And wrong actions to wrong habits. So God is saying to us, deal with your sin now. If you let it go on, it will destroy you. Amen? Now you might be here today thinking, what can I do? I've already allowed some sins to take deep root in my life. I've I've got some things that are rooted deep in my life. How can I get rid of those things? They're they're already beyond the thought stage. They're, They're rooted deep in me, Pastor. How can I get rid of those things? I don't have time to go into it deeply in this message, but you've got God's part and you've got your part. God's part is that He'll take away the penalty of your sin when you trust in Jesus. And He'll give you the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to produce holiness in your life. But your part is that you have to depend on the Holy Ghost and you have to depend on the Word to get you through it. But here's the thing, you also have got to deal radically with your sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, Jesus says this, If your eye, even your good eye, other translations, say your right eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand or your right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Seems pretty drastic, doesn't it? Now Jesus isn't literally saying that we maim ourselves to solve the sin problem. But He is saying that you've got to get radical in dealing with your sin. In other words, you've got to do whatever it takes to cut sin out of your life. In other words, you can't flirt with sin, you can't dabble with sin, you can't play with sin, you can't play around with it. You can't play games with sin. You've got to take sin seriously and you've got to deal with it immediately. You've got to deal with it quickly. You've got to deal with it drastically. Let me explain it this way. If you have a problem with lust and you can't keep yourself from flipping on channels that have things you don't need to be watching, then maybe you need to get rid of the TV in your house. I know you might say, that sounds a little old-fashioned, preacher. That sounds a little old-school. That sounds like old-time holiness. But here's the thing. If you can't turn the channel off, and if you can't keep yourself from flipping the channel where you don't need to go, then maybe you just don't need to have a TV until you can conquer it. Amen. Or maybe you just need to cut the cable out. 
If you can't keep yourself from getting on the internet and going to sites you don't need to go to, then maybe you need to get some kind of program that when you feel tempted to go somewhere, somebody's going to get an alert that lets you know where you've been. You've got to get drastic. You've got to get, Barney Fife said, and just learn how to nip it in the bud and deal with it. You can't play around with it. You've got to be radical. Amen? I know this is old school. I know this is old fashioned. But here's the thing. If something has a root in your life, you've got to dig it out. You've got to deal with it. And sometimes you just got to get that radical with it and say, hey, I don't want this to ruin my life anymore. I don't want this to destroy my home. I don't want this to take my wife or my kids away. And you've got to do what you've got to do to get rid of it. Listen, do you want looking at, do you, do you want looking at pornography to take your soul to hell? Do you want those things in your life to take your soul to hell? And if you don't deal with it, it's going to get out of control. Because here's the thing. Looking at things of that nature will lead you into greater sin. Let me just say this to the men in the house. That when men begin to view pornography, if it's not checked and not dealt with, it will lead to physical adultery. to be dealt with. My wife, she knows my password on my cell phone. And you might be sitting here today thinking, man, that's my phone. She don't need to know what my password is on my phone. She don't need to be going on my phone and looking at my stuff. Well, the Bible says when you got married, the two became one. What's yours is hers, and what's hers is yours. It's all in one pot. Nothing's off limits. Is that okay? If you got a password on there and don't want nobody else to know about it, especially your past, then what are you hiding? What's on there that you don't want nobody else to know about? Let me just say this. I'm getting ahead of myself. It don't matter if they don't know. God knows. I've got to move on. Notice letter B. Cain willfully disobeyed God's warning. Cain refused to humble himself and bring their proper offering. Cain talked with Abel, his brother. We don't know what Cain said to him, but, but the connotation and what most commentators said is that he, he, he persuaded Abel, let's go to the field. It is implied that he just had some small talk with him so that he could lure Abel out into the field so that he could commit premeditated murder. He planned it. Perhaps Cain thought angrily, all right, God, you want a blood sacrifice? I'll give it to you. And he slew his brother in cold blood. 
What began as anger turned into murder because Cain refused to heed God's warning. Think about that. It started out simply as anger and turned into murder because he didn't deal with it. God tried to head him off. God tried to stop him. And think about that. God couldn't talk Cain out of it. Listen, you're in a bad shape when God can't talk you out of it. But let's be honest, we've all been there before, and I talked about this some Wednesday night. We've all been there before when the Holy Spirit of God has convicted us of things, and we bypassed His conviction and went our own way. Listen, you bypass His conviction long enough, you'll get to the place where you no longer feel His conviction. And if you aren't careful, you'll get to a place of no return. And there may not be any coming back. That's a sad place to be. But he willfully disobeyed God's warning and went out and killed his brother, which leads me to the third thing. Sin can't be hid from God. Look at verse 9 to 14. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will heal me. Some commentators suggest that Cain, he killed Abel and he buried him somewhere. And so Cain may have thought that he'd gotten away with his sin, but when God asked him, where is Abel your brother? It reveals that God knew what Cain had done. But notice that Cain lies about knowing where Abel is and he never admits his sin. Am I my brother's keeper? He blatantly lies. Am I supposed to keep up with my brother? In fact, he is insinuating God... Can you not keep up with your own creation? Think about the arrogance of Cain. Can you, have you lost what you created, God? That you can't keep up with Him? The arrogance and the pride of Cain. There's not one word of repentance. There's not any sign of remorse from Cain. God says to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And the cross-reference to this is Hebrews 12, 24. Look at it in the New Living Translation. It adds to it so that we understand it. It says, you've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of, notice this, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You see, the blood of Jesus cries out before God for forgiveness, mercy, and grace to all who take refuge under it. But here in our text, the blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance and justice. You see, the blood of Jesus is crying out for grace. It's crying out for mercy. It's crying out for forgiveness. That when we do wrong, the blood of Jesus that was spilled is crying out, Father, forgive them. But here in this text, the blood of Abel, it's crying out for vengeance. It's crying out for justice. It's crying out, God, I've been wronged. I need you to right a wrong. I need justice. And that's what God is saying to Cain. 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. That I've got to do something about this. And so, God says to Cain, when you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond as you roam this earth. And what God is saying to Cain, that hey, you're going to work the ground, but you're not going to be able to have successful crops. That all the days of your life, you're going to roam and you're going to wander, and you'll never really be able to settle down in this world. And notice, it's only when God pronounces punishment, it's only when God pronounces judgment that you see any kind of emotion or any kind of feeling from Cain. He doesn't feel remorse that he killed his brother. It's only the fact that he is being punished. Look at what Cain said. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Anyone who finds me will kill me. He's afraid that others are going to treat him as he treated his brother, but he still doesn't confess his sin. He still doesn't admit that what he did was wrong. He only states that his punishment's too severe. But here's the thing. Had he got what he deserved, God would have took his life. It's only in God's mercy and in God's grace that he didn't get everything he deserved. God was more merciful to him than he deserved. And let me just say, aren't you glad that God's more merciful and gracious to us than what we deserve? Because if we got what we deserve, we'd get hell. Throughout this story, we see the grace of God and the mercy of God. Because if we got what we deserve, God wouldn't let us wait one more day. Amen? But here's the thing. It seems that Cain was more concerned with getting caught than what he'd done. And isn't that how a lot of people react when they get caught in sin? They're not really sorry for their sin. They're sorry they got caught. And if we'll be honest, isn't that how we act sometimes? That's why we ask forgiveness and they go right back out and do it again. Can I get a witness this morning? Let's be honest. We've all asked God to forgive us, haven't we? And then we go right back out and do it again. We're just sorry we got caught. Not really sorry that we did it. That's kind. Because if you were really repentant, you'd stop. Because repentance is not only a change of attitude, it's a change of direction. You turn from it. But here's the lesson. Even when others don't know what we do, God knows what we've done. You can hide your sin from everybody else, but you can't hide it from God. Numbers 32.23 says, If you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Listen, you may hide it for a long time, but you can be sure your sin will find you out. It will come to light. You, you can cover it up, but God will uncover it. Amen? Proverbs 15.3, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping His eye on both the evil and the good. He's looking everywhere. He sees it all. Whatever you do in the deep dark corner somewhere, God sees it all. Hebrews 4.13 Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. But here's the fourth lesson. 
God is gracious when you sin. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Had it been us, we would say, just let somebody slay Cain. Just let somebody deal with him, but we're not God. For some reason, God protects a murderer. God hides a fugitive. Why? Grace. He puts a mark on him. We don't know what the mark is. But whatever it was, I see it as an act of grace. I believe that by sparing Cain's life, God left an opportunity for Cain to repent. He left an open door for Cain to come back anytime he wanted to. That mark was God's way of saying, I'm ready to listen anytime you want to come back. I'm ready to accept you. Not even this murder can keep you from me permanently. God in His mercy was giving Cain every chance to repent. Listen, that's a picture of God's amazing grace in the life of every one of us. Amen? <laughs> you see, no matter how badly we have sinned, God in His grace will forgive us if we come to Him. That no matter how bad we've blown it, no matter how bad we've messed up, God in His grace is saying, hey, there's nothing that can keep you from me if you'll come to me. That God leaves the door open. You see, even though as we get further in Genesis, there's an impending flood that comes, and Noah, he's a preacher of righteousness, but the door stayed open until God shut it. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day of grace where the door is open until God one day will shut it. And people who are living in this world today, who are living all kinds of lifestyles, they don't understand that right now God is putting His grace on them. You see, here's the thing, even when I was lost, God had put His grace on me. When you were lost, God had put His grace on you. And every day He gave you life. Every day He let you breathe. Every day He let blood pump through your body. That was a mark of God's grace on you. Giving you opportunity to come. Even while you were out there drinking things you didn't need to be drinking, snorting things you didn't need to be snorting, that was a mark of God's grace on your life. Saying, hey, the door's open if you'll just come. Aren't you glad? And aren't you glad that even now that you've come to know Him, that when you mess up, that God says, hey, I'll give you another chance. That God will give you another opportunity. We serve a God of second chances. But let me just say this before I move on. Grace is not a license to go sin willfully. Grace is not a license to go out and do whatever you want to do and think that, hey, God's just going to forgive me and God's just going to let me do what I want to do. No. He gives second chances and He lets us come back. But you cannot presume upon the grace of God that, hey, I'm just going to do it and let God forgive me later. No. Because we see, finally, sin will separate you from God. Sin will separate you from God. Look at verse 16. Genesis 4, 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. Nod, it means wandering. On the east of Eden. Cain refused to repent and the text says he went out from the presence of the Lord and he became a restless wanderer. Sin will separate you from the presence of God. 
It will keep you from experiencing His presence and power in your life. It will build a wall between you and Him. It will isolate you from Him. Notice the verse said, Cain left God's presence. He deliberately made a choice to separate himself from God. God tried to warn him. God tried to give him an opportunity to come back. God tried to stop him from ruining his life. And God tried to give him a chance to right his wrongs. But Cain made a choice that God, I don't want you. God, I don't need you. And he left God's presence. Hear what I'm about to say. God will not leave you, but you can deliberately leave God. Preacher, I thought you believed in the security of the believer. I do. And I believe as long as you want to be saved, you can be saved. I believe God's grace will keep you. I believe God's grace will sustain you. And I believe as long as you're trying to live for Him, serve Him, and want to do right, God will keep you and God will keep going after you. But if you make up your mind that I'm going to leave God, God will let you go. I don't believe you'll lose your salvation. But you can forfeit it and say, God, I'm done. And I'm going to walk away. And God will give you a chance like He did Cain. But when you make up your mind, God, I'm done. And you leave. Cain became an apostate. He left. He left. And I don't read anywhere in the Bible where Cain ever came back. I don't believe Cain's in heaven. God will not leave you, but you can leave Him. That's what sin will do if you don't deal with it. Sin's crouching at the door. And if you don't master it, if you don't dominate it, it's going to dominate you. And it'll take you from the presence of God. And here's what's so sad. There's people who come to church every week, but they've left God's presence. In the house of God, but they've left God's presence. That's a sad place to be. In God's house, but left His presence. And thinking they're okay. So as I close this morning, if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, I don't feel God like I used to. I'm not as close to Him as I used to be. Can I tell you what's probably wrong? You probably have sin in your life. There's probably something in your life that God has tried to deal with you like He dealt with Cain, and you've refused to admit it. You've refused to deal with it. And you've begun building a wall between you and God. And slowly, day after day, you're slipping away. From the presence of God, hear me. Nobody just in a day leaves God's presence. Nobody just backslides overnight. It happens over time.
God seems distant to you today, God hasn't moved. You have. I want to say that again. If God seems distant, and you can't touch Him, and you can't feel Him, listen, God hadn't moved. You have. But you can return. Because the door's still open. But you're going to have to deal with your sin. And that's what most people don't want to do, is deal with their sin. In fact, you know something that is often interesting? The word repentance is something that is often applied when you study the Bible. Repentance is often applied to the church. Church. Read Revelation when he's talking to the seven churches. He tells the church to repent. He's not out there screaming at the world, repent. He said with the church, repent. And I'm afraid it's been a long time since the church has repented. Because when you look at the church of 2018, you can't tell much difference today between the world and the church. Because we've let sin that's been crouching at the door of our heart pounce on us. And we've let it take us. And it's time to deal with it. It's time that we come to Him and say, Father, I've sinned against You. And I need some things rooted out of my life. Because a verse, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, but a verse that we often quote when it comes to revival, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. We say, I want revival. For revival to come, it's got to start in the church before it ever hits the world. And part of that is the church getting right with God again and dealing with our sin. Dealing with with the junk in our lives. And I know we sit here today and sometimes we sit here in our our self-righteous piety and say, "I, I don't have any sin in my life, preacher. If you sit there and say that, here's one of the areas you struggle with, it's pride. Because if we followed every one of us around here day in, day out, and recorded everything we thought, if we could do that, and everything we said, and we had the capability, you've heard me say this before, and rolling it on this TV screen next Sunday morning, how many of you would want to stay here and watch it? The way we snap at our husbands and our wives sometimes. 
I'm the pastor. I wouldn't want you sitting here watching 24-7. I told them Wednesday night as I prepared. God convicted me. God's dealt with me. I want to see God move. Everything that I read about in that book, I want to see God do. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I want such a power and such an anointing that lives are changed and impacted. And hear me, I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about walking in purity as best we can through the help of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I don't believe we have to sin. I believe the Holy Ghost is greater than the power of sin. It's been broken from our lives. It doesn't have power over us anymore. It doesn't have to dominate us anymore. We've been made new. But we let things linger too long. I've got to close, but do you remember when you first got saved and how easily you felt convicted? When you said a wrong word. But now, it can come out so easily and you think nothing of it. We've become desensitized. And now we can watch things on TV that we used to not watch and it doesn't bother us no more. Because we've let things in and we've not dealt with them. And it's gotten out of control. God says it's time to deal with it. It's time to start plucking some things out by the roots and dealing with it. Time to start getting some things out into the open, into the light, and dealing with it. So I ask you as I close, what are you doing with the sin crouching at the door of your heart? Either you're going to master it, either you're going to war against it, or it's going to master you. Are you on guard against the beast that still dwells within? Listen, I I wish we could get saved and it'd be gone. But it's not. There's a war taking place. Are you dealing radically with it? Are you playing around with it? Listen, I'm tired of this Christianity that wants to see how close we can get to the line without going over. Time to get as far away from the line as we can. This straddling the fence one foot in, one foot out. Let me ask you this. Do people know you serve God at work? Do people know you're a Christian? They ought to. Just Mary Beth, if you'd come. If God is speaking to you today about your sin, don't shut the door on God. Don't be like Cain and say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. You need to come in repentance to Him and by His power, you need to slam the door shut on your sin. You need to deal with it. I want you to stand with me all over the house.